What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. We have a little bit of a different podcast today. It's a Thanksgiving special. We're uh, skipping out on the intro just so that you guys can get just as much content as possible, or we uh, are having a little bit of technical difficulties and can't get the intro on here. But if you're like us and you're kind of escaping the the family Thanksgiving to talk about Auburn sports, then this will be a great time for you to to listen to this podcast that I foresee being a little depressing. I mean, uh, you know, Auburn is coming off of a 31 to 10 loss against New Mexico Mm -hmm. State as we talked last week, really not at all about this game because we felt very confident that Auburn would cover the three-and-a-half touchdown spread that Auburn would not lose the game that we paid $1.85 million for the other team to come. Um, but, you know, Q, uh, you know, maybe New Mexico State is just his nemesis. Uh, he just has had back-to-back seasons with uh, three touchdown losses to him. Just uh, an embarrassing game all around. Peyton Thorne uh, with a QBR of 28.9 uh, in this one. 148 passing yards and one touchdown, did not have a pick. He did lead the team in rushing with 38 yards. Jarquez Hunter with eight carries for 27 yards. Um, and that was pretty much it from uh, from reading the box score. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it was just an embarrassing game, all things considered. Uh, halftime was sloppy as we expected. And then Auburn just never really figured it out, never really got anything going uh, on offense or defense. The offensive line and defensive line got dominated up and down the field for 60 minutes by a Conference USA foe. I mean, just all in all, very, very embarrassing game. Uh, Wheeler, what were, your, uh, what were your thoughts from this one? Uh, I think you said it best, uh, embarrassing. It was not what Auburn should ever, ever look like. Yeah, Auburn should not lose by three touchdowns. Auburn shouldn't lose by three touchdowns to anybody. Auburn should definitely not pay a team $1.8 million to come in here and beat us by three touchdowns. Um, I just, there's, you know, the apologists saying, oh, they were focused on Bama. Uh, You know, I don't really care. I I don't care what the excuse is from the coaches. And honestly, I, I don't think that Hugh has been that phased by it. If I'm being completely honest, I, I, this week has frustrated me with the Hugh Freeze administration at Auburn. I think you ask for the NIL donations. You, you're asking for NIL donations during the game that you were just getting, I mean, destroyed by New Mexico State. Uh, you lose games earlier in the year, you lose to Georgia, and the excuse is, oh, well, we got to get our NIL collective up. We got to work harder, we got to get better players in here. There's just a talent gap. Um, I just don't believe that there's a talent gap between Auburn and New Mexico State. I think it's a lack of effort. I think it was a lack of effort out of the players. I honestly think it was a lack of effort out of the coaches as well. Players don't just get bad overnight, and they didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. The def- I mean, the DBs were getting cooked the entire game, They they and they are NFL DBs. They're all going to the Senior Bowl. It's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of athleticism. It was a lack of them watching the film. So whether they can't watch the film on their own and figure out what New Mexico State's doing or the coaches were focused on the Alabama game all week, it was embarrassing. I mean, you you just got to gotta win the games. You can't always focus on the next week and put all your eggs into the Alabama basket. And it's very frustrating. I, I think even, you know, everyone will say that an Alabama win – forgives all 
And to to a point, I agree that people will forget that this happened, but I think that this reveals a serious character flaw where the program is right now, um, just from a lack of effort and a lack of preparation. It's one thing if, you know, I wouldn't even say this if you lost by three. If you lose by one on a field goal and you were sloppy and you had turnovers, they got whipped. They didn't have – we didn't have any turnovers. We lost by three touchdowns. It was a complete and utter devastating miscalculation by the entire coaching staff, and I think it goes back to the top. And honestly, if the – you know, they're getting paid a lot of money. All of these coaches get paid a ton of money. All of these players get paid a ton of money. And that's the product that they put out on the field. If you were in a in a normal business and you got mauled like this, this would be like a business in rich economic times, just getting run down into the ground. I mean, it's just pitiful. You, if it, the CEO would be on the hot seat, and I'm not saying Hugh needs to be on the hot seat, but Dadgum, if he starts doing this every year, he will be, and he'll be gone fast. That's all I'm saying. It, this is bad. This is an epically poor loss. I don't care that New Mexico State is rated higher than Auburn. That's not an excuse. There is a, there's a reason why Las Vegas, who all, builds all the buildings, said Auburn was a four-touchdown favorite. The expectation was to win by four touchdowns, and they woefully underperformed. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's no way around it. There's no way around that, obviously. Auburn underperformed and Auburn got beat, you know, and I, I don't think whipped. Not yeah, beat, I mean, I yeah, mean, beat they like got, a dog. They got, I mean, it, it was just an old, it was just an old fashioned beat down. I mean, Auburn was not very competitive. And, you know, it's embarrassing if it's against Georgia. It's embarrassing if it's against Alabama. It is unbelievably embarrassing when it's against New Mexico State. And New Mexico State has been playing some decent football recently, but it, it is absolutely. No excuse. Wheeler, I think you hit the nail on the head with bringing up the Vegas line that even Vegas was not expecting this at all. Now, I will say, and I, I think that there is the, the the concerns when Auburn hired Hugh Freeze, and we were very vocal about these, is he has – he wins the big game. You know, typically if you look at Hugh Freeze's track record, he wins the big game on the schedule. He wins the game that's circled on the calendar – but he always, always lays an egg against someone and has just an absolutely terrible performance. Against Ole Miss, you saw the 30 to nothing beat down against Arkansas when he was ranked very highly. You saw, uh, I think it was in, it was 2015, I think, when they were they were 4-0. They had a win against Alabama under the belt. They go into the swamp and they lose by four touchdowns. You know, against, um, even even at Liberty, you know, he lost uh, lost to ULM. One year when he was a three-touchdown favorite, he lost to New Mexico State by three touchdowns when he was a three-touchdown favorite. I saw a stat on Twitter, and I this might I might be butchering this, but it was, I mean, the the amount of times that a team was a three-touchdown favorite and they lost by three touchdowns. The only team that's done it in modern history has been have been two teams coached by Hugh Freeze, and that's concerning. That is very concerning. That is not that's not okay, especially if you don't get that big win. You know, it's one thing if you're like, yeah, you laid an egg against someone, but you got a big win. And that was something that we saw a lot with Tommy Tuberville is he won the big game a lot, but would lay an egg against someone he wasn't supposed to. And it keeps you around a long time if you consistently beat Alabama, you consistently win those big games. But Hugh really only has one other opportunity to win that big game in year one. And if he doesn't win on Saturday, then it becomes a problem when you lay an egg and you don't win the big game. And obviously, in, in year one, he, he has he has a little bit of leeway. 
this is something that I, I, I posted on a Q&A earlier this week is you do have to give a guy time. I, I think that that is something, you, you know, I'm not comparing Hugh to Saban, obviously. I think that's a terrible comparison. I think that that comparison has been brought forth a little too much. But obviously, Nick Saban, legendary coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time, lost to ULM year one, wasn't good. Kirby Smart, year one at Georgia, lost to Vanderbilt with on a team. And it wasn't like, I mean, Saban inherited a team that was not winning football games. Hugh Freeze inherited a team that was not winning football games. Kirby Smart inherited a team that was pretty dang good. I mean, ultimately, he still lost to Vanderbilt. Obviously, now he's, he's doing pretty good. Steve Sarkeesian lost to a two-win Kansas team at home. When he and you know now he's you know now he's a he's a playoff contending coach. Brent Venables had some bad games, bad games in year one. You see guys all the time having just bad games in year one or year two. Mike Norvell lost to Jacksonville State at home in year two and won five games. It's very common for coaches to struggle in year one or year two, especially when they're building a program. So to be fair to Hugh Freeze. It's very common for successful coaches to lose bad games in year one. Now, I think the biggest difference is those losses came, you know, early in the administration and by close margins. You know, it was like you were saying, like a field goal, you play sloppy. It was bad. It reminds you, know, like Tommy Tupperville, even, you know, in, in 07, lost to South Florida. Like bad games happen to good coaches. But I think the concerning thing is is that Auburn was not competitive in this game by no. any means. And I think that that is what kind of alarms the Auburn fans the most, is that there's a line between you lost a game you should have won and you got whooped in a game you should have won handedly. And I think that that's what's made a lot of Auburn fans mad. Not exactly the loss, but the method of the loss. And it just derailed all the momentum. I mean, you just beat an SEC team by 31. You have all these five stars. Cam Coleman's been on campus just about every day. The past two weeks. I mean, the guy, I mean, you feel like he's he's yours to lose. You've got recruiting momentum and you lose to New Mexico State by three touchdowns the week before the Iron Bowl. And you don't get to the red zone. Yeah. And I mean, how many did Jark West even get to rush for? I mean, the O-line was just getting manhandled like they were the Conference USA team. I mean, what, Jarquez rushed for 27 yards? On eight K and and why is Jarquez only touching the ball eight times? Like I get we didn't well, have I mean we probably only had like thirty-two plays. I but mean, still I get I get the time of possession was not good, but uh, Jarquez needs to touch. I mean, Peyton Thorne had 17 carries. And yeah, some of those are on scramble, some of them were on design QB runs. There's no excuse for Jarquez to not touch the ball ten times in a game. Even if you get dominated by time of possession. Well, we only ran forty-five plays. But still, like Jarquez Hunter is the best offensive player you have. He needs to touch the ball more than eight times out of yeah. forty-five. Yeah. That's just, and that's just my opinion. But I think that it goes back to the defense. You couldn't get they couldn't get off the field on third downs. I mean, I I don't know the exact number, but I mean, I know. I mean, New Mexico State must have had a ton of third down conversions. I mean, we could not get off the field on third down. They dominated time of possession. It just goes back. We got manhandled. I mean, it was not a competitive game. And I just, what do you, how, how do you recover from that? I think that's the big thing because you see this game and you're like, all right, do, do you just tell the team, forget about that? You have the Iron Bowl coming. And obviously, you know, pe people, people talk about how, you know, oh, can Hugh Freeze get the team motivated for the Iron Bowl? If the team is not motivated for the Iron Bowl, we have bigger problems than losing some football games because that is a, I mean, it's the biggest rivalry in college football. No football player should have difficulty getting motivated for that game. I think it's more, can you get the game plan together? I mean, you're playing a really good football team and you just put a terrible, 
terrible performance on the field. So, Wheeler, just kind of give us your thoughts on from from Hugh Freeze's perspective. How do you kind of weather that storm and move into next week? And more so, how, how do you how do you approach this Iron Bowl? I mean, I would assume that you approach the Iron Bowl with the perspective of you have already installed your base game plan because surely to goodness you didn't spend an entire week preparing for a team that is that inferiorly talented to you and get beat that bad. Yeah. Like, I think that that would be best case scenario is that you can never come out and say, we did not prepare for a team. You can't out and out say that Mm -hmm. in a press conference. Okay. I mean, that would just be. That's a bad look. That's a terrible look. You can't do it. ESPN is going to ridicule you. You just take the lump and you, you pretend like you tried your hardest and hope that it goes away. In reality, I'm just going to assume that they prepared for Alabama. I'm going to assume that we're going to have some innovative offensive game plan that's going to target Alabama stuff, and we're going to run a bunch of plays that we haven't run all year, and that the game is actually going to be competitive. But it's really hard to forget what you saw on Saturday. It's really hard to forget seeing the DBs get cooked. It's really hard to forget that all year long when the DB when the defense gets backed up into the red zone, they're very good unless you throw it over the middle of the field. If you throw a tight end, if you have a delayed tight end going up the middle of the field, you're going to score every time. If I'm Alabama, I'm going to run that every time. I'm at about the 20-yard line. I think we've given up like three or four touchdowns on third and ten, third and eight, where they just do a delayed tight end route straight delayed, up the middle. Or a delayed running back yeah, slip out. Just yeah. some kind of delay. Right up the seam. Right up the seam for a touchdown. Um if I'm Alabama's defensive line, my mouth's salivating because what I saw out of Auburn's offensive line on Saturday, I mean, they stacked the box. They said, go ahead and run it. And honestly, what they showed to me is Georgia allowed – Peyton Thorne was able to get some yards on Georgia because they just weren't accounting for him at all. New Mexico State was accounting for him with the with a bend towards keeping the ball out of Jarquez's hand. Mm-hmm. We ran a ton of reads and Peyton was keeping it on virtually every single one of them because who's going to beat you worse? I mean, is Peyton Thorne really going to run all over you or is he going to run for three, four yards at a time and then you're going to smack him at the end of the play and he's going to be in a walking boot this week? I mean, multiple rumors have come out that Peyton Thorne's in a walking boot and I think that's a genius game plan. I mean, Peyton Thorne is not going – he is an effective runner where he can get some yards. And people are going to say, oh, well, he lowered the boom on the Arkansas, dude. They suck. They absolutely suck, okay? You cannot expect that Peyton Thorne is going to lower the boom on anybody that plays football for the University of Alabama, okay? That's just not going to happen. If the game plan is let Peyton Thorne run wild, we are in deep, deep trouble. Go crazy, Peyton. Go crazy. No, go crazy, Peyton. That's not going to happen. He can't go crazy. He's just he, he's an effective runner to get you yards and get you first downs. And that is he is effective enough as a runner to go and win games, but he is not going to put the team on his back or put the team on his legs and go run. for Because when Peyton Thorne gets 17 carries, okay, he averaged two yards a carry. Like, that is – it's not going to go and win you the game. He even had a big run. I mean, he had like a 40-yard run against New Mexico State. So, he had a big run against Georgia, a big run against New Mexico State, the, but they don't end in touchdowns. And so, that that it's just – I'm concerned. I'm highly concerned for the Iron Bowl. Um, Jalen Milrow has been playing very well. I thought that our pass rush had made great strides. And honestly, I didn't think that the pass rush was terrible. The DBs just didn't cover anybody. Like, the pass rush would have gotten there if they had held up in coverage a little bit. And the same thing with penalties. 
I mean, there were some pretty bad pass interferences. Like, pass interferences that you're not even going to boo as a fan because you're like, yeah, he was all over him. Um, Just, it was just a miserable game. Miserable game to watch. Obviously, you're going to get a better jump at pass rush when the stadium is actually full and people actually care. I mean, the the fans came in, and I think the difference is you can't blame fans who are paying money to go and be entertained for not being locked in and ready for a game and not having an electric environment. The players who were getting paid and getting their school paid for, that's their job, is to be locked in and ready and to go and make plays that make the fans cheer. Like, Well, yeah, I don't think I don't think you can get mad at the fans for not selling out the game. Yeah, I, I think that's or a, having a fun environment. Yeah, I, I think that's an electric a, environment helping. If you. that's if that's your if that's your your slide on the fans in defense of the team, I think it's a very poor defense. I think that you can you can show me any national championship winning team, any team that's competing for the playoffs right now, they're not going to have an electric atmosphere against uh, a group of five team the week before rivalry week, especially the week before Thanksgiving when half the students aren't even on campus. I mean, th- those are the kind of games you know that you won't have a big crowd. Which and, is why you schedule teams. Yeah. Even, shoot, even, uh, even against Western Kentucky last year in the Cadillac days when it was like, you know, we, 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 we might lose, you know, like yeah. this team actually is probably better than we are, yeah. but it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a loud environment because that's never a loud game. It doesn't yeah. matter if that was the, I mean, you know, if that was an SEC game, it wouldn't be that loud. Like it's yeah. just people, there aren't that many people there at the end of the day. So I, I think that it's a poor argument. And at the end of the day, I don't think you can get mad at the fans for the players playing bad. No, you know, I, I think that's a bad, I think it's a bad take in my opinion, but you know, just kind of going into this iron bowl, you have no momentum virtually. You know, it feels like you have no momentum at all. The line has gone down to be fit, the, the, to, you know, to, to hype Auburn up a little bit. The line was at 10 and a half. Auburn loses, it jumps to 14 and a half, and then it's down to 13 now. So obviously, Alabama playoff team, they've already won the West. They're ranked number eight. They can, in all likelihood, they control their own destiny. You know, they're they're juiced for this game. And Auburn's really only thing is being able to potentially hold Alabama out of the playoffs. And I think that that does mean something. It's going to be a big game. It's the Iron Bowl. Records don't matter as much. But you do have to acknowledge that Alabama is trying to win a national championship this season. And it feels like Auburn is just trying to make it to signing day and have a good signing day. And I think that that – and it wasn't like that a week ago. But now it, it definitely feels like there, there's not as much excitement. And the players are absolutely working against momentum. Like, the players are going to have to show up. It, it feels like the 2021 game when you're expecting to get absolutely run and then it's close at halftime and you're like, okay, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we all know what happened there. But I, I just don't think that this is a game where anyone's going to give Auburn a chance. And I don't think anyone should give Auburn a chance. I, I think that this is – this is the kind of game that Auburn will have to prove that they belong in this game, and it, it just doesn't it just doesn't give you a lot of a lot of excitement for this one. I think we'll be able to score more. I think that we will be able to draw some things up on offense. I mean that that is Hughes' calling card, and I mean goodness gracious, every time he gets into a press conference and the offense is good, he talks about how he took over play calling, and I know he's trying to recruit. But, I mean, he's got to recognize that after the product that he put on the field last week, and I'm just going to, again, I'm going to assume that that was not him calling the plays. Seeing as every time he takes credit for calling the plays, the offense looks quite dynamic. Mm -hmm. He's got to be doing it this week. 
I mean, surely that that has to be what it is. I mean, he cannot allow the play calls to be something where he goes into a press conference afterwards and goes, well, you know, I wasn't real involved in the offensive game plan this week um, because I was recruiting. I mean, recruiting is important, but at the end of the day, you're not here to recruit. You're here to win games, and you've got to win games. I agree, and if calling the offense wins games, you need to call the offense. Yeah. And it is, I will say, it is one thing if you have Cam Coleman on campus, New Mexico State's coming to town, you spend a little bit more time recruiting. It's not an excuse to lose that game by any means. It's not an excuse for the offense to be terrible in that game by any means. But it is fair that you give your offensive coordinator more responsibility yeah. in that week. Now, Iron Bowl, yeah, you recruit Cam Coleman. And, you know, maybe you maybe you do both. You know, maybe you do nothing but Iron Bowl this yeah. week. You know, maybe and, that's well, and And maybe – and we, I, I don't like firing coaches because I think it's hard for continuity. But if your offensive coordinator is so bad that when you entrust the game plan in them, they score on a lucky play one time against New Mexico State and then kick a long field goal in garbage time when the other team is playing a prevent defense, maybe you look elsewhere. Maybe he doesn't get it. Maybe, maybe he can't draw it up that well. I mean, I think that's a serious and a fair question, that if the only time the offense looks like it has any life is when the head coach is involved in it, that that raises concerns as to the competence of the offensive coordinator at that moment. And Phillip has shown that he was a good offensive coordinator in the past, but he's also shown it when he's been with really good head coaches. I mean, his, his big calling card as an offensive coordinator was when he was at Baylor with RG3. Well, guess what? Art Bryles was known for being the offensive guy at Baylor that year. It's like, okay, we serious questions need to be asked. If you're going to recruit all the time, Hugh, do you have an offensive coordinator right now that you actually trust to get the job done? Because it doesn't seem like he does. And if and if you don't, you know, you either have you either have Phil Montgomery who can specialize in the offensive game plan, or he can specialize in recruiting. But it doesn't feel like – I mean, it doesn't feel like Phillip's really been the recruiter. You know, it yeah. feels like all offseason he was kind of the X's and O's guy and Hugh took more of a backseat in the offense to recruit. And obviously he's doing a, he's doing a decent yeah. job recruiting. But the offense wasn't being effective and Hugh stepped into the offense and now he's trying to juggle both. If, you, if Hugh's going to have to take all of his time doing the offense – then you need an offensive coordinator that can recruit at a high level. And if Philip Montgomery's that guy, great. We'll have the same OC for yeah. two years straight. If he's not – Go you, get Damian Craig. Yeah, and you got to bring in a guy who can recruit. And I think that that is the difficult part of this, you know, this whole coaching dynamic is that, like you said, it feels like Hugh, Hugh says it, that every time the offense does well, it's because Hugh was the one running the offense. And if that's the case, then you might have to make some changes. Yeah. But so moving in, moving into this Iron Bowl – Hugh Freeze has had some success against Alabama. Obviously, he he beat him twice in games that no one really expected him to win. Games that you know it was prime prime Alabama, prime Saban teams, and and Ole Miss takes him down. Going into that, do you think that Hugh Freeze has has Nick Saban figured out a little bit in that he can get he can get points on the board? Do you think that there's something where Hugh Freeze can I mean just as a coach that gives you confidence? For this game, that Hugh Freeze knows how to put points on the board against a Nick Saban team. Yes, because I think that all of the coaches from that tree that are the spread offense tree that do a lot of eye candy typically do well against Nick Saban coach mm -hmm. teams because Nick Saban's defenses are typically based in getting in the proper alignment. Yeah. That That is like the biggest thing with them. And so teams that throw a bunch of eye candy, Jimbo Fisher is known for that. 
They, he has known that when they play Alabama, he would throw all kinds of – Everyone candy. that can go into motion will go into motion yeah. before the ball. And everyone would be frustrated who was an A&M fan because they're like, why do we motion so much against Alabama and have a great offense? And then we go and play Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and we don't motion anybody. Mm-hmm. Like It was almost like he was saving all the motions for Nick Saban. Same with Gus. Gus always did a great job because he would – just throw out these random formations when he was going and playing against Kirby Smart and say, but, you know, the alignment would get messed up and he'd get some cheap points on them. Mm-hmm. That, that, that has been the weakness of the Nick Saban defense. I think even Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin moves the ball well against Alabama. He just makes boneheaded coaching decisions because he wants it so bad that he goes for it on like fourth and four in his own territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, I, I mean, that's my thing. I think the offense will be able to move against the Alabama defense. My concern is that the Auburn defense is going to get burned on some big plays because Jalen Milrow is elite throwing the ball downfield. That's like his claim to fame is the deep ball and running outside of the pocket. And I, that's concerning based off of what we saw this weekend. Yeah, I think I, I'll say I, I've said it before. I, I don't think Jalen Milrow is nearly as good as some people make him out to be. I think that Jalen Milrow is a very, I think he's a very talented quarterback. I still think he's very raw. I don't think he compares to Jaden Daniels. I think that they are in different tiers of a player. I think that it helps having Milrow at home. He hasn't had that many true road environments that are really that crazy, you know, truthfully. Uh, I, I think that Auburn will be able – I think Auburn will surprise people and get a bit of a pass rush. I think it'll help, similar to in 2021, when it was almost like the guys were were getting an extra second because it was so loud. I think it'll be really loud. I think the guys will be able to, to you know, get a lot of pressure. The big thing is you can't blow any deep coverages. And I feel like that's what happens every time people play Alabama. You saw it against Arkansas. Arkansas was playing a phenomenal defensive game against Arkansas. Then all of a sudden, oh, Milrow drops back to pass. He throws it deep. Boom, 80-yard touchdown. And you look at it, and you're like, they didn't even cover the guy. I mean, there wasn't anyone within 30 yards. And it's it's the miscommunication in the back, in the defensive backfield. And Auburn has all vets back there. There should not be any mis- miscommunications. They should all know what they're doing. If there's ever a guy just running free because someone messes up, that's a massive, massive mistake by Ron Roberts and the whole team. I mean, everyone in the D, I mean, everyone in the secondary has been there for years. So I think that that's a strength that Auburn has is you shouldn't give Milrow any just wide open guys. And if you can contain him, I think he'll get frustrated. I think he'll start making plays with his legs. And I think he'll rely on his legs more than he will his arm. I think that if you can keep him in the pocket and make him beat you just by throwing the ball, I think it'll be a competitive game. I think the big thing is you can't let him just do all of his, you know, you can't let him run. You can't let him throw. You can't let him be a guy. You can't let him be a Heisman quarterback. If you can restrict Jalen Milrow to be just a game manager and make him beat you, I don't think he will. I don't think he will on this defense is what I should say. And so I think that Auburn has a really good opportunity to shut down Alabama's offense and on paper, I think Auburn matches up well against Alabama. It's just what Auburn team shows up. Yeah, and I think that we hope, and a lot of people are assuming that the good Auburn team will show up, um, but it's just hard to forget what you just saw yeah, so recently. For sure. Um, and so I, I'm hopeful that we will see a good team, and I'm hopeful that next week we're going to come on here and we're going to be back on, oh, Hughes definitely you know, doing a great job, recruiting's going great. I, that, that is the hope that I have for all of the things. But 
there's there's some definite concerns that come out of what you saw based off of Hughes' track record um, this past week. So, I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah, and I think it's another thing. If Auburn loses this game, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that if Auburn wins this game, it's a great year one stepping stone, great for momentum, all that good stuff. If you lose a competitive game and you have a and you have some wins on signing day, if you land Cam Coleman, if you you know somehow get Ryan Williams to reclassify, if you get some really good players and end up with a really good class on signing day, you'll take that. You'll you'll take it as a win. I mean, that that was the big win from from Saban's year one. He had a you know he he had a subpar season. He lost to Auburn, lost to ULM, but he had a fantastic recruiting class that built kind of the beginning. It built the first championship of his dynasty. And so if if Auburn can bring in some really talented players, and if you can have three five stars in a class, yeah, it sucks that you won six games, maybe seven, depending on how the bowl game goes. But it looks good for the future at the end of the day. But but if you lose to Alabama and you kind of fumble some guys on signing day, then you're starting to be like, all right, we we finished on a bad skid. We lost lost our big-time players. Like th- This is a very important game. You have a ton of recruits there, a ton of 2025 recruits too. And that's something that, you know, this is going to be a very important game for the environment. This is going to set Auburn up momentum-wise to have a great 2025 class that's already ranked pretty highly. So it, it's a it's a very important week. And, you know, before before we wrap up, we either just give me kind of, you know, how, how we like to do it, an offensive guy and a defensive guy that you think have to play well for Auburn to win this game. I'm going to go with Connor Lou on offense. Okay, I think it's a that really good pick. I the, like that. the offensive line is going to have to have a better game than they had this past week. Um, and I think that offensive line it can most easily be confused by the opposing defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that was happening a little bit. I think that having a lack of preparation, having a freshman center, um, is really hard to rest on your laurels. And I thought you saw that. I, they were having a tough time picking up in pass pro. They were not getting a push in the run game. But I think it was really because New Mexico State was able to stack the box because the pass protection was just non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Connor Lou not getting confused, not letting the moment get too big as a freshman – Playing in his first Iron Bowl, that's going to be my offensive guy. Um, defensively, I'm going to say Jalen Simpson. I feel like he got hurt um, kind of midway through the year, and I'm hoping that he's going to come back, be a little bit healthier this week maybe, uh, and be able to make some big plays and kind of coordinate that, like you said, in the back end of not letting any busts happen, making it competitive, making them drive down the field the entire time. I think that he's going to have to be the leader on defense that allows that to happen. Yeah, I, I really like both of those picks. I think on on defense that catches my eye the most is whoever they whoever Ron Roberts kind of selects as being the guy to keep Milrow inside. And I think that, that could be a guy like Cam Riley, could be a guy like Austin Keys, could even be like a Keontae Scott or Donovan Kaufman, maybe, maybe by a committee. But whoever has the biggest role in keeping – Jalen Milrow in the pocket and denying his running ability, I think that that aspect of the defense is the most important. And I think that from a linebacker perspective, I think Cam Riley makes the most sense. I think Cam is the most natural outside linebacker out of everyone in the room. I think that he's the guy that doesn't really get fooled on the motion. He doesn't really get lost in the play as much as Nixon quite does. I think Nixon's still getting there. 
But I think Austin Keys and Eugene Asante, I don't know if they quite have the speed that Riley does to keep up with a guy like Milrow. I think that'll be interesting to see. Hopefully Cam Riley can be that guy and leave Keontae and Donovan Kaufman to, to stay in coverage. I think that'd be big. Also, I think Jalen McLeod is a really important guy being able, if he can get pressure, if he can play like he did against Arkansas, huge, huge opportunity for him. And offensively, I really I think it's Jarquez. I think Jarquez and and, and Peyton Thorne kind of as a as a tandem are extremely important. I don't think that we'll see that many big time performances from the receivers. You know, I, I feel like it'll be I, I think it'll be kind of I think Peyton Thorne will throw it to everybody. I don't think there will be one guy that, you know, essentially gets the biggest thing. I think we'll look for Rivaldo in the end zone a lot more. But ultimately, I think it'll be you draw up plays for a certain guy, but it's not going to be the same guy every time. And I think that if Peyton Thorne can hit those plays, I think it opens up a big day for Jarquez. And Jarquez has never beaten Alabama. Like this is, you know, he's going to be he's going to be running angry. I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And I think that I think that he's a guy to really look at for for a big big breakout game. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll run hard. I just hope that there's somewhere to run. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely agree with you there. But that'll wrap it up for this week. Obviously, you know, we'll be back next week breaking down the game, talking a little bit more about the recruiting impacts from Iron Bowl weekend and hopefully breaking down an Iron Bowl win. But uh, for everyone who took time out of their Thanksgiving week to listen to this podcast, we really appreciate y'all. Hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and War Eagle, everybody. War Eagle.